Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. everyone welcome back to another episode of generation ag super excited for this one with jack jack's a fifth generation cattle breeder he has a massive passion for the beef and cattle industry and their genetics and breeding he's the owner and operator of breeder genetics jack's traveled through australia the u.s and canada and has been had the privilege of seeing many modern day high use ai sires Jack currently is undertaking a rural science degree at university whilst managing his business breeder genetics, as well as helping his family farm manage their livestock enterprise. Jack's passion for cows will really impress you. Uh, This was a really good interview. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, we have a lot of interesting conversations around a lot of topics that we've never touched on a lot in this podcast. So it was really cool to chat about. Um, And thanks again, Jack, for sharing some of your time to share your knowledge and uh, give us some more understanding on the cattle industry. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. So Jack, thank you so much for joining me on the Generation Ag podcast. Super happy to have you today. Would you be able to start by telling us a little bit about your childhood? Yes, so um, I was pretty much born into agriculture. Um, it's sort of all I've ever known um, until I was about 12 and then I went to boarding school in Sydney at Knox um, and I guess that probably opened up um, the world a little bit more than um, where I am. We're pretty isolated here where we where I live so um, it's sort of an hour to any other uh, sort of town or just to get bread and milk. So ag- agriculture is probably all I've ever known um, for for a, a big part of my childhood and it was sort of just uh, what I more or less considered normal to be, you know, getting up pretty early and checking cows and feeding cows. That that to me was a pretty much a normality until I was about 11 or 12 and then I, um, yeah, went down to Sydney for high school. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're talking about agriculture and your farm, can you tell us a little bit of detail about your parents or the farm that you grew up on? Yeah, sure. So um, it is a uh, full family operation here. So um, the um, so it's Nola Livestock, and that is owned by my father and uncle. It's a joint partnership. Um, and then, so it is roughly uh, with all our lease country, it probably totals around that seven thousand acres. Um, after the drought, we've uh, we're still rebuilding rebuilding female numbers at the moment. So we have uh, about seven hundred females. So we've got about three hundred. Uh, stud performance uh, recorded females and then uh, the remainder is sort of all commercial cows and that uh, yes obviously a beef operation our steers sort of go into Kalara feedlot uh, generally um, and that all goes into a brand of beef product uh, Jack's Creek and then obviously our stud cows we produce uh, stud bulls have a uh, bull sale at the end of July which is just been um, and yeah, sort of our bread and butter, I suppose now is that stud operation. That's sort of where we're really moving forward in our business. Yeah, that's really interesting. And would you say that working from being on the farm as a child through to obviously going away for school and then back to the farm, did you always, yeah. was farming or going back into ag always what you wanted to do? Was that you're pretty set in stone from a kid? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I always knew that no matter where I'd end up, I'd be in the agriculture industry somewhere, probably um, didn't know exactly where um, and obviously moved into more probably more of a genetics uh, line of work now, but definitely agriculture is where I've always, uh, my heart's always been. So after school, did what did you study or where did you sort of go to to get to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I left school uh, end of 2016. Uh, for 2017, I actually um, did a gap year working with AACO um, in the Gulf of Queensland. Uh, and that probably, yeah, I still regard that as one of the best experiences I've ever had. Uh, go, going up there to actually under, move away uh, from, I guess, a start operation, going to a large commercial operation with AACO opened up my eyes to, I guess, probably a, a vast um, beef production systems and understanding that Northern Australian production system just completely changed probably my perspective on how we produce beef in this country. Um, but not only that, how, how you know, like our, our big, a big cow herd for us is 40 in a paddock. We're up there at, you know, 4,000 in a paddock. And just the vast scale um, of an operation was was in just, uh, it was such an unreal experience and, and definitely recommend it to, to any young person in ag. To, it's just a really good sounding board to use. Um, then I uh, came home end of 2017 and then I, uh, 2018, went to, um, uh, University of New England um, to study rural science and uh, yeah hopefully we'll finish that degree up at the end of next year COVID sort of throwing a bit of a curveball at that but um, yeah finish finish that degree is the plan end of this end of this year and so that's where I'm at now. So you've also started your own business called Breeders Genetics. So yep. when did you decide to start this business or how did it come about? What what was the deciding factors? Obviously, you've had a lot of influence in the ag industry. When did you decide yep. that you were going to make that change? Yeah, sure. So it was um, in, so in 2018, uh, I actually traveled to Canada um, and I met some amazing people over there um, and did a bit of a short short tour throughout Canada, um, visited some feedlots over there, uh, went to a lot of farms, uh, saw some really cool stuff, did then a little bit down through the US. Then I, um, yeah, formed some really good friendships and, and connections through that. Uh, then the following year in 2019 in November, I went back over and actually worked for some guys over there um, they also had an Angus stud like us with sort of a commercial backing, sort of a very similar operation to what we have here. Um, and I worked with them for about six six months and then I actually caught up with some other Australian Angus breeders and then we travelled for about another month uh, through through to the end of December and uh, flew in on Christmas Day, much to my mother's disgust. So we then, um, yeah, basically travelled all throughout America and saw operations from central Arizona to Alabama to uh, Illinois, yeah, anywhere and everywhere we travelled and saw such a vast array of um, production systems throughout America. And that was probably a bit of a trigger moment that um, from a genetics perspective that we have a different production system to the US and probably more so on the whole North America to what we do in Australia. We feed our cattle differently. Uh, we have end, end markets. Um, the American system is very sort of devoted to a domestic product where here in Australia we're where our exporting box beef is sort of our, our number one sort of thing we're aiming for. And those two end products are very different. And that was probably a massive stepping stone on that. Okay, the genetics we're pulling out of the US 
um, we need to keep in mind that that they've actually got to work for us in Australia. Um, and I guess that sort of put a trigger forward that, okay, well, we need to now go back to the US and actually try and source and find these genetics. So again, the following year, um, well, I went back, basically did a very similar tour, but was a lot more focused on going to bull studs. Um, I think I looked at about 600 bulls, um, all AI size that are sort of at the top of their respective breeds. Um, and basically it was on the plane home flying out of Denver that um, I sort of realised and it was, I guess, a really uh, trigger moment uh, that probably the push over the edge that um, we need something in Australia where we can not only have have the best genetics from the US trying to transition into Australia that's going to work for us, but it was also that um, uh, that the market in the U in Australia is quite a closed market, and there's some really good genetics. We went to some herds in the US that um, no one had really ever been to, and and they were some of the best cattle we saw. Yet those genetics were not the genetics that were necessarily coming to Australia. So. Uh, we basically then wanted to be able to design a, a program, a platform, and then it sort of turned into a business where we could source those genetics, not only from uh, the US and Canada, but now also in, here in Australia. And I think we're seeing a, a really great demand now for Australian genetics um, coming through that are proven in Australia and now and sort of born and raised here in Australia that we know are going to actually work in the Australian environment in the current market. And that's sort of how it all started in now it's basically a business that it's all about just basically a free market um, within that AI business um, and, and trying to basically just put put a marketing platform forward for anyone that wants to utilise it um, so we can try and push out some of the best genetics, not only here in Australia, but the US. Yeah, basically how it all began. How did you go from sort of the first idea and then you've developed it to then actually say, okay, we're mm-hmm. going to start putting this into your business what were sort of some of the steps behind that yeah so from sort of the the final major trip to the u.s um uh, it was january um 20 what was that being january 2020 um we basically uh i was actually on holidays up at byron bay and then came and i basically the whole holidays i sat my laptop and wrote the most ridiculous document on all these ideas um and it was it was about 20 odd pages. And then I sent it around to a few Angus breeders and people all over the supply chain and said, hey, what do you guys think of this? And the most common thought I got back was this is way too complicated. You, when you get it down to a one page document, we'll read it and give you some advice then. So over the next uh, three months, I basically kept refining it until I basically got it down to a one, I think it was about a one and a half page document. And it was basically... Um, keep it simple stupid and yeah and it basically then I basically started proposing the idea to a few different people from from cattle breeders alike um, through to people at, uh, in the feedlot industry through to people in the organic world to all sorts of different types of people um, and basically developed it from that and slowly tweaked it and, uh, and like any business we're still changing and tweaking things uh, as we're going along and it basically developed out of out of a lot of consultation um, from all around the industry, and basically, yeah, started started hacking at it and making putting things into progress. And yeah, before long, we had a logo and a website, and it all just yeah, sort of just started happening. And um, yeah, go figure. So now you obviously have this business. I would love for you to talk about mm-hmm. AI insemination and why it's so important because there yeah. are a lot of people listening that 
probably understand it, but not quite to the level that I think you could tell us about it. Yeah. So um, I guess, I guess, um, I guess the, the benefits of AI are sort of seg- segmented into two areas in that we have um, the seed stock or stud industry with registered cattle, and then we also have the commercial side of it. So I guess from a seed stock perspective, the main benefits of AI is the fact that, okay, we can use the best genetics from around the world. We can then produce these bulls to sell on to our clients. Uh, we can continue having genetic advancements and probably genetic advancements is probably what it, everything centers around. From a commercial perspective, it, it's again about that genetic advancement, but it's also um you know, we can do, we do fixed time programs where, where we basically, um, we give an array of uh, drugs and medicine to, to our cows and heifers, whatever program we're doing. We can then um, have all of those females cycle uh, pretty much on the one day. We can AI, uh, depending on how many technicians we've got going, but, um, you know, we, we've done about three to 400 a day. And then the, in an ideal world, we'd have about 55 to 60% of those females uh, conceive and then fast track nine months forward, you can have basically 60% of your female herd effectively carved within, in an ideal world, it's within a day, but take gestation length into account, you know, it's within a week, you can have 60% of your herd carved. Moving forward, when it comes times to sell those animals, you can then sell 60% of your animals on the one day. Uh, And I guess from a economic perspective, it turns back to a lot of numbers get thrown around, but um, it, it can sort of end up being about $100 uh, extra profit per animal um, per AI calf, basically, um, in just purely on that extra weight, um, that, uh, on the fact that they're born a bit earlier. We've got a lot of them. Uh, it's all about management. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of benefits. And obviously then if you can utilise the best genetics in the world on a commercial scale, the, the amount of gain and fast track you can do in such a short amount of time, I, it is really hard to put an economic value on. But when we start doing it over and over again, the, the results are un, unbelievable. Um, and, yeah, it is, it is hard to put an economic value on genetic gain. Um, but, yeah, it is very, very cool to see what we've been able to do in such a short amount of time in some commercial herds and just take them to pretty much the top of the game. And that's that's probably what I find most exciting. Absolutely. You talk about commercial gain, which is perfect because that leads into my next question. Yep. Livestock industry can be particularly lucrative. And I think this is something that people outside of the industry, it's hard for them to fathom the the reasoning behind, you know, some bulls are going for $150,000. Can you talk to us about yeah, this yeah. side of things and just give us a little bit more in-depth info about really the reasoning behind this? Yeah, sure. So I guess, um, so, so I was looking at some stats earlier today um, and last year in 2020, um, it was about 8,700 Angus bulls were sold at auction we're looking for basically the top one or two. So we're looking for such such a, a tip of the iceberg, the pinnacle of currently what we have. Um, and I guess that's where that's where the big dollars come in, in that um, if if a producer can breed, a seed stock producer can breed that top of the tree and and um, no one no one will ever breed the perfect one. I guess that's the that's the goal, but um, it, it may not ever happen. But 
I guess when when stars align, um, and there's been a few bulls over the last 12 to 18 months where, you know, they've been in the 100 plus, we've seen not like all that long ago, you know, uh, a bull in northern New South Wales, you know, he made 225,000. Um, I guess it's all for good reason in that um, his start, everything sort of aligned. We have so much technology available to us now where we can genomics these bulls. We can get such an understanding and such such good predictive measures on how these bulls are going to perform. And so if we know, okay, this is how these bulls will perform, we can then sort of work backwards on an economic sort of scale on, okay, what's this bull going to be worth? What do we think he's going to be able to do for us in the industry? How proven, how outcross his uh, pedigree and genetics might be. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to happen, but I think it's more so purely on the fact that there's a lot of bulls sold, um, especially in the Angus breed, um, that when we're going looking for those top two or three bulls, there's going to be natural competition. Um, and and I guess that's how, how a lot of these bulls can end up at such high prices. And, and probably, too, why we're seeing bull prices this year, um, you know, I think the average bull's around that eleven dollars to $12,000, um, which, which not all that long ago, that was the top price for a pretty good sale. So I think we're seeing... Um, Overall, in the beef industry, people are starting to really want to pay for that top-end genetic merit, um, and people are people are really willing to pay for it. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously a lot of those prices are huge six-figure sums, but they're competitive, and like you say, people are really keen Absolutely. to pay for quality uh, because of the long-term results it can have for their enterprise are huge. Yeah, I was just going to say probably, I guess. Um, I guess a big factor of these prices coming in too is, um, you know, where with the the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator went over ten dollars um, only a few weeks ago, and it wasn't all that long ago when we got really excited and when it hit six dollars, and it's nearly double that now. I think um, you know we're seeing in the wiener market in the feedlot job that the beef the beef industry is on such a massive high at the moment, and there's without a doubt that is pushing forward these um, high prices in the bull market. Um, you know, there's a pretty standard rule of thumb that, um, you know, you want to have eight to 10 wiener steers pay for your bull. And, you know, if you sort of use some rough rough figures that um, a wiener feedlot, you know, a feedlot entry weight steer um, is worth, you know, say around that two grand, 10, 10 on two grand, that's uh, 200, uh, that's, you know, 20,000. So there's your price of a bull. And it was only four or five years ago, 20, 20K for a bull was pretty good big money. Now that's what producers commercial producers are paying for it without hesitation it's um pretty unbelievable really yeah the times have definitely changed i think that there's uh definitely been a huge increase in the last 10 15 years in agriculture as a whole in the economy of it and what people are spending to have the best quality produce and deliver the best and i think that goes to show how much uh, graziers and growers are so uh, you know, they really want to do the best in this industry to provide the best at, at the absolutely. end of the supply chain. And that's really great to see. Could you tell yeah, us what ab- a typical absolutely. day of a life is like for you? I'd love to know what, what's a typical day in a life for you? Uh, I guess it, um, at this time of year where we're carving. So uh, normally it's uh, about a 6, 6.30 start, um, go out, check, um, check all the cows. So with all our stud calves, they are individually weighed um, at birth. Um, and then we basically tag them with their individual identification uh, with their mother and sire. Everything's recorded. We record sex. Um, we're currently involved in, a, in some research on trying to 
work out some um, genetic predictive measures for the amount of white um, that comes with these cattle. Um, so we're looking at we score them for, for a white score. Um, so we're, that's, uh, that normally takes us a while, I guess, depending on how many cars we've got to uh, go through. Uh, then it's normally come home, work on some uh, breeder genetic stuff, um, whether it's semen releases, um, getting it this time of year, it's, you know, normally getting a spring sire directory organised and, you know, all of the fun stuff that involves, um, getting pictures and writing stuff up. Um, I spend a lot of my time on the phone talking to producers, uh, so normally catch up on phone calls and emails. Um, and then in the afternoon, depending on what's happening around here uh, on the farm, um, help out with that or, or try and get stuck into some uni work. Uh, and that normally then rolls through late at night. And then it's basically, um, yeah, rinse, wash and repeat and do it all over again. Yeah. So you've got a bit on every day, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Trying to, trying to run a business, finish a uni degree um, and then... Uh, with a, with a father and uncle that uh, like to get as much help as they can. It's, um, yeah, time time management is something that I've learned to get uh, quite good at it because I'm not very good at my time management. So um, it's, it's, it's sometimes a bit of a struggle and there's some late nights. Um, mm. So, yeah, we – no, definitely there's a fair bit going on all the time. So it's just um, – yeah, trying to manage it the best best we can. I'd love to know what do you think the biggest learning opportunities you've had since starting your business? Yeah, um, I guess probably for me it's been uh, the communication. I guess regardless of where I went, ended up in ag, I've always had a passion for understanding production systems and I guess uh, being able to travel and see, some, see various production systems and now it's actually knowing those people um, I guess I guess the communication with producers, um, my my understanding of all of that's probably changed uh, a bit in actually trying to get people to understand that what we can do now from a genetic perspective does have an impact on the end stake that might go on the on the plate in three years' time. The decisions we're making now and trying to convey that uh, to to beef producers is certainly been a big learning curve. Probably another learning curve um, that I didn't I, I didn't necessarily expect was probably an age uh, barrier. You know, like I'm 23 years old and and advising people in their 50s and 60s. It, um, it without a doubt, people people don't necessarily take you seriously. But probably a better way is you know they they don't necessarily give you the time of day. And and that's probably that that whole age barrier concept is something that I've had to learn to deal with, and it still happens on a daily basis. Um, and and trying to um, you know there's a lot of um, other other larger companies out there in the world that um, you know it's it's I'm always going to be the underdog and um, you know it's 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 sometimes it's definitely a challenge to to try and you know put forward your ideas and talk to people when they're you know potentially three times your age and um, you know that that's definitely a barrier. Uh, that, that I've had to sort of learn to overcome and just deal with on a pretty well daily basis, um, you know. But yeah. I still think that the best thing is is that it's just allowed me to meet so many people all over the world. Um, you know, a, a really good mate of mine works at the world's most northern feedlot in Canada and, and how they operate a, a feedlot when, when the manure freezes within about a minute um, and, you know, urine freezes just within 30 seconds of leaving the animal 
Um, how do they deal with all of that? You know, it's it's un- unbelievable uh, just the amount of people that you meet in a business like this, I think is second to none. I think that is easily the best part of it. Know what you mean when you talk about uh, being the youngest person in the room. It can be really hard and that's yeah. something I think we navigate uh, often um, at Generation Ag, but it, it's, we're slowly getting there and I think as you grow and you learn and you meet more people, you realise everyone's pretty welcoming, but you do have to prove yourself, that is for sure. <laughs> you, you have to have the Absolutely. knowledge and backing. Yeah, definitely. Nothing's for free. Yeah. Something I'm quite interested to hear is what drives you because you seem very driven, especially when you say you're at Byron Bray having a holiday and you're on your laptop doing your (laughs) sort of business plan. What is the biggest drive for you? Passion. Um, I think um, for anyone that knows me well, um, I talk about cows nonstop. Um, It's um, definitely passion. If you're not passionate about what you're doing I think you're probably not doing what you need to be doing um I yeah my my girlfriend I drive her nuts because all I talk about is cows and she's in the sheep sheep world so um yeah we don't always get what each other's talking about sometimes but um the passion without a doubt is what drives me it it is the last thing I think of I go to sleep thinking okay what can I do tomorrow to make this business better or make someone else's business better. And it's the first thing I start thinking of in the morning. I jump on my laptop and see what happened in the sales in in the US. Um, Normally by about nine o'clock, we can get an idea of what's happened in New Zealand at the Wiener Markets. Um, It's it's just passion is is 100% is what drives me without a doubt. Um, Yeah, I, I love, absolutely love what I do. There's nothing in the world that I'd change it for. Yeah, absolutely. I think passion, if you're passionate about something, then there's no stopping you, which is the motivation you need to get it done, I'm pretty sure. Correct. Can you talk yeah, to me definitely. a little bit about what you think some of the biggest pieces of advice have been working in the industry, starting your own business so young? Uh, probably a big pieces of advice um, I got when I started this was when, when I started that uh, is when you speak of Byron Bay, starting that document, probably a big piece of advice was keep it simple, stupid. Um, I think we can sometimes overcomplicate things um, and, much, and as much as sometimes we need that extra layer and level of complication to make things work. Uh, but if on the surface we can have something that's really simple, uh, we can allow our clients to, to understand um, and then if we can do the complication more or less on our end, um, I think that was probably a massive piece um, of advice. And I guess too, um, doing, I was always told just do do what you believe in and do what you feel comfortable with. And I, I'm not a big believer in trying to copy what other people do. Um, I'm quite happy to just do, do whatever I sort of more or less want to do within limitations. I think if we try and mimic other businesses, we can sort of go down a road where we're not actually in control and instead of looking to what we want to do, we look to what they want to do and I just don't think that is a right way to approach it. So basically what whatever my business decisions are, they're very centred around, okay, well, how how is this probably A, going to be different to maybe what else is out there, but, but B, is this what 
A, I want to do, but also is this going to help my clients and help future clients and be able to actually, I guess at the end of the day, we do this to make someone else profitable. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we still have to be profitable. So it's all about basically understanding, okay, will this decision help someone somewhere? Couldn't agree more. And before we wrap it up, my final question for you is, what is your hope for the future of the agricultural industry? Um, look, obviously working um, working quite heavily in the beef sector, but also the genetic front, uh, I have a big dream and aspiration that we can connect the entire supply chain from uh, conception to consumption. I still believe there is a massive gap from your commercial cow-calf producer through to um, what they're, what's actually been produced on the plate. And, you know, there's, there's a, some, you know, there's the data feedback we get on our steers um, and progeny uh, once they're hanging on a hook, and that's really good, but it's probably the next step is, okay, how can we use this data? I have a big aspiration that one day um, we'll, we will get some quality-based pricing um, so we can hopefully get paid for a bit of marbling and performance um, that we're putting forward, and it's starting to happen now, um, but... I think we still have a long way to go. And I guess it, that all probably rolls back to, okay, how can we further connect our, you know, from conception to consumption and really integrate that entire supply chain from making a decision, um, you know, a year before and then, you know, the, the decision we make today, really, the final outcome of that decision won't be felt for another three years um, when that animal is on a plate. So I think we have to be very forward thinking. I guess understanding that entire supply chain is sort of probably my hope and aspiration. We can really connect genetics to, to you know, a really nice eating experience. And I guess at the end of the day, I guess we're all in the business of, of putting beef on a plate. And if we can have more people eating beef, then I think, yeah, that's a job well done and thumbs up. Couldn't agree more. I think that there's definitely some really exciting innovations, including what you're doing. And it's pretty exciting to be here watching it unfold in 2021. And it's great. Post-COVID, a lot more people who are consuming me are really aware of the full supply chain and seeing what people like yourself actually do yep. to impact it, which is exciting times. Uh, absolutely. It's exciting. And and we're already trying to work out how we can potentially do that. I guess it's... um. Yeah, it's good to be able to put dreams into action. And I guess we're, we're right now in the process of, I guess, trying to work out how we can potentially do that. We're already talking with people on, on how we can try and connect all of that and make it work. But, um, yeah, definitely it's, it's, it's an unbelievable time to be not only in the beef industry but agriculture as a whole. The, the advancements of genetic technologies we've got at our fingertips are just absolutely it's, it's phenomenal. Um, where, where we've come from in the last five years, let alone 10 years, is unreal. You know, my father has seen, you know, the last 30 years of development of, you know, EBVs, performance recording, and now we're now we're moving into genomics. And I think it um, at the moment the question is, is do you want to utilise it or not? I think the bigger question needs to be, do you want to be a part of the future or not? And I think it's relatively black and white on how things are going. And I just think it's such a fantastic time to be within the industry and, yeah, bring it on. Let's let's get it done. Jack, thank you so much for today. I have really enjoyed it. I think no your thank passion you. and your insight, and I'm so excited to watch everything that you do moving forward. But before you go, can you tell thank people you. 
where they can find you. So if they want to have a look, where where's the best places to go? Sure. So I guess uh, we've got social media covered uh, to a degree, basically Facebook, Instagram, um, and then there's, yeah, a uh, website. If you want to get in touch, we'd be uh, happy to chat all things cows with anyone and everyone. Awesome. That would be perfect. I'm sure a lot of people want to chat cows with you all day. <laughs> yeah, no, I hope so. I do. Uh, there's, there's only a very few people that uh, out there that, um, yeah, we can talk all day about cows and keep on going. So <laughs> it takes a special kind of person. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.